today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Interesting op-ed piece in the Toronto Star uh, the other day from uh, David Olive, who's the uh, business columnist for the Star, uh, talking about inflation. I mean, who's not talking about inflation these days, right? Uh, and uh, the suggestion that uh, the federal government, specifically the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, uh, is doing almost nothing to help us deal with inflation, and that's exactly what he should do, according to Mr. Olive's piece. Uh, is that the best tack to take in a situation like this? And what is the role of government as we're going through this process? Uh, to talk about this, so pleased to welcome back to the program, Moshe Landon. Moshe is the Senior Economics Lecturer, of course, at Concordia University. Uh, Moshe, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm trying to weigh the, the different opinions I'm getting from economic experts or just pundits, I guess, in, in one way or another, about just how we're supposed to do this. I mean, if you're an opposition member of parliament or an MPP or whatever the case may be, I mean, everything that's wrong with your life is, is the government's fault. That's what you want people to believe. Uh, and, and certainly there are enough people that are saying that about the federal government now and, and are pointing the figures and saying, what are you going to do about this? Uh, I guess the overriding question here, Moshe, is what is the role of government in a situation like this with inflation hovering around 7.5%? Well, if you're only going to listen to one opinion, Bill, mine is the right one. So That's, um, that's why we called. There you go. So with that said, uh, inflation comes from two sources, right? It comes from this demand stimulus and it comes from a lack of supply. And in both cases, the correct thing to do is for the government to spend less. So in fact... The article that you're citing is correct, uh, that Trudeau is, in fact, doing the right thing. Maybe not for the right reasons, but he is doing the right thing by keeping his hands in his pocket, saying, I'm not doing anything about this. And the gimmicks that the various provinces are putting in place is, in fact, the wrong thing to do, but it is the politically popular thing to do. Uh, and, and he mentions and here, of course, Doug Ford's promise, of course, to reduce the gas tax for a period of time. Uh, and uh, Saskatchewan Premier Mo uh, with uh, one-time checks, I guess. Uh, we've been down that road before, though, haven't we? And it didn't really solve the problem. No, and, and it, that's exactly it. It doesn't solve the problem. Most of these things are, in fact, inflationary in their own right. But if, if you view that some of the inflation that we're experiencing right now is coming from this buildup in demand, when the government goes and spends money or when they cut taxes to put more money in the pockets of Canadians then, of course, that money is another source of demand into the economy. And so that's going to contribute to inflation. So the correct thing to do is actually uh, take some of that stimulus away. So I think maybe a tax hike would be really unpopular, although it would be economically effective. So if that's really not a politically viable option, then the second best option is at least just don't do anything to contribute to the problem. So don't cut gasoline taxes. Don't give out mo money, as they're calling it in Saskatchewan. Don't promise $500 if re-elected uh, in the Quebec uh, government re-election platform. Th these things are just contributing to the problem, not solving it. I guess the concern here for a lot of us is uh, there, there is no easy solution to this, is there? I mean, and, and I believe that uh, the, the Bank of Canada governor and, and frankly, the head of the, uh, uh, the American counterpart for that as well, have pretty much given the same message here is, look, this is going to hurt, uh, but that, that we have no other option. That seems to be their mantra at this stage. That's it, right? So if you're going to try and slow down the demand part of the inflationary story, it's increase interest rates, make it punitive to spend money. And, and that means then that, you know, households are going to see that uh, the amount of interest they're paying on their lines of credit or credit card debt is going to go up. And that's to encourage them to spend less and reallocate money towards paying down debt. You make it more expensive for businesses that want to borrow huge sums of money to build 
office towers, factories or whatever, and make it a, a punitive for them. And it also raises the cost of governments to finance their deficits. So in all of these cases, that is, you know, a, a way to try and slow things down. And the other source, which I said at the outset, was from the supply side, no government can fix that. Governments are not going to be able to stop Russian adventurism in Ukraine. They're not going to be able to stop wave after wave of COVID. They're not going to be able to stop, at least in the next six months, uh, climate change and all of the damage that's doing to supply chains and uh, these freak storms that are washing out uh, transportation links and things like that. Those things don't don't help. So, you know, spending money uh, isn't going to fix those problems either. You just have to let them work their way out on their own. But we want to spend money. We like to spend money, Moshe. I, I, it's 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 like okay, you got to give up pizza. I, I, but I like pizza. You know, well, can I just have a little bit of it? No, you can't have any until we get this problem solved. It's it is pretty tough medicine, and it's pretty hard for we, the public, to try to buy into that. Yeah, and and the last few years we have gotten really addicted to spending. So uh, with interest rates at record lows, and with uh, curb payments that were merely meant to help make ends meet. The fact is that we, we got addicted to it and, and fast. And the idea now of online shopping being so easily accessible, uh, websites storing your credit card details for ease of use. You know, how easy is it to just find something online that looks interesting in two clicks and it's delivered within 24 hours to now tell people, wait a second, think before you click, uh, slow down. Think about how you're going to pay for those things or now it's going to cost you more money. It, it's difficult for consumers to have to change their patterns of behavior. It's always easier to spend more, but it's very difficult to get them to spend less. In uh, his piece in the Star, uh, uh, Mr. Olive goes through a long list, a laundry list of uh, things that have been tried. You know, he even talked about wage and price controls. I think some of us are maybe old enough to remember those those bad old days about the implications of doing that sort of thing. Uh, and and I guess the, the point here that he was trying to make, Moshe, is that we've done all this. It's not as if, well, if you do that, this might happen. We've seen that game before, and none of this stuff works. So why would you bring it back now, except for, as you say, uh, you know, political popularity? Yeah, and it's a different politician. So this time it's going to work. This time will be different. This time we're going to target it towards the right people. This time we're, uh, you know, going to encourage the right sort of spending, right? So it's not a surprise then that, for example, in Alberta, uh, the way that they tried to help support Albertans was by suspending the gasoline tax. When you have a province that's built on oil and gas, the idea of suspending something that's intimately connected to that local uh, province is going to help uh, the political sales pitch, right? Yeah, we, we still want to drive. It's summertime and that's vacation time, etc. But I mean, I've seen a number of different reports now that suggested that uh, the reduction we've seen in gasoline prices over the last few weeks, especially, is probably because we're not driving as much. In other words, we have reduced demand, the price goes down. So if, if that's in fact the case, if all of a sudden a province such as Ontario, or as you mentioned in Alberta, were to reduce that tax, in other words, that's almost an encouragement to drive again. Isn't that going to drive the price back up? Yeah, and, and that's why it's such bad policy. But, you know, the, the thing is that um, I, I think that the the response of people to, to changes in gasoline prices is pretty muted, right? If you have to drive to work, you have to drive to work. And so whether it's a $1.75 a liter or $1.85 a liter, I don't know that that's going to fundamentally change the way that people view public transportation versus driving or fuel-efficient cars. But, yeah, I mean, any time the price goes down... At the margin, it is going to encourage more driving and to whatever extent that's going to contribute to higher gasoline prices, uh, it becomes self-defeating. So, 
you know, it, again, it, it, it's good politics, though, right? And so if you can sell people on the idea that we're trying to help you out, where we're seeing the greatest sources of inflation, right? Food prices, gasoline prices, uh, rent prices. So if we can offer some form of relief on those things, um, it's visible enough, or at least it's supposed to be visible enough that people feel confident that that helps. Uh, and of course, one of the other things that's been tried in the past uh, is is putting a cap on prices. Uh, and I know some people are asking to do that as well. Uh, I know a provincial government here in Ontario did that some years ago when, when hydro prices were skyrocketing. Uh, then Premier Ernie Eve simply said, okay, we're going to put a cap on it. The price can't go anywhere. Well, the, the price of the commodity doesn't go down because of that, does it? I mean, that, that may be what we pay, uh, but somebody else has to make up that difference. And that's, usually it's us down the road, isn't it? And it creates shortages too, right? And when it creates shortages, that's when you start seeing the emergence of things like black markets and things like that. And then black markets usually lead to even higher prices. But, you know, the idea of price controls in this country in this day and age, I mean, if there's one person in all of Canada that would be reflexively against that, it should be this prime minister because his father tried it 50 years ago. Uh, and I think the Liberal Party is still paying for it out west. Uh, half a century later. So I, I'm sure that at the dinner table growing up, it was, listen, kid, if you ever become prime minister, the last <laughs> thing you should ever do is put in price control. So I, I, I think it's a terrible policy at the best of times, but I think that there's one person more than any other that knows this is not the solution. I just want to connect the dots here. We're talking about the concerns here and the problems and what government should or should not do uh, with this inflation monster that we're dealing with. Uh, I'm sure you saw the story this morning, Moshe, that the credit card debt here in this country is starting increasing significantly once again, uh, which kind of tells me that uh, notwithstanding what people like you and others are saying that we should be doing now, uh, a lot of us aren't listening and, and we're still spending money. Uh, are you concerned about that? Well, I'm concerned about what it means in the medium term, right? If you can't pay your credit card debt, at what point do you start defaulting? And if you start defaulting on your debt, then somebody's going to have to absorb that. Uh, in that particular case, this is going to lead to, to consequences, maybe for the banks, maybe for the credit card companies themselves. And that has broader implications too then, right? If the stock market starts falling as a result, if this starts wiping out shareholder wealth, which could be used for other purposes in the economy, that does have consequences. But if you're increasing your debt right now, as long as you have a plan for how you're going to pay that back, uh, you're merely just borrowing from your future self. It's that if you lack the plan, that's where the problem comes in. So the, the advice here, okay, just ride it out here. It's, it's going to be painful for a little while. Uh, we have seen a slight decrease in inflation from 8.1 down to, to the mid-7s. Uh, and I know that uh, the Bank of Canada, Governor Macklin, says that, you know 2% is the goal. Uh, I don't know how quickly we can attain something like that. But, I mean, is there a, a point, a watermark someplace in between there uh, where the, they can start to say, okay, let's, let's cool it on interest rates? Because all indications are uh, we're going to hear about another interest rate hike again this week. Yeah, we're, we're going to see another interest rate hike this week. We might even see one in the remaining couple of months of this year. I, I think there's another full percentage point to come. I think what the Bank of Canada is going to do at the end of this year is they're going to sit back for a little bit and say, all right, did this have the effect it's supposed to? Don't forget that interest rate hikes usually take about 12 to 18 months before they're fully felt through the economy. These hikes seem to be moving a little bit faster, and I think that's maybe because we're a little more uh, open about discussing it in the media uh, and it is such a headline discussion. But, you know, I think if in early 23, we see that, okay, the inflation rate is starting to come down in a sustainable way, Bank of Canada said all along that they expect to be back on target by the end of next year. Uh, I don't think that they necessarily have to increase interest rates uh, if they see that things are moving according to plan. It's just if things deviate or if some unanticipated event comes up, 
that's when the Bank of Canada goes back to the forecast machine and says, all right, what does this mean? And they adjust accordingly. We're all on the same boat, as you mentioned. This is a global problem, this inflation that we're dealing with here now. It's not a Canada-only problem. But in that context, is there anybody who's who's handling this better uh, than, than we are here in North America? Canada and U.S. policies seem to be pretty similar uh, in their approach to this sort of thing. But uh, I, you look at Scandinavian countries, some of the European countries, are, are some of them better off? And if so, why? I, I think that one of the great lessons of the last 30 years is that most central banks have learned about the importance of anchoring inflation at that low level, around 2%. If you take a look at most of the whatever word you want to use, industrialized, first world, rich world countries, they've all learned that kind of the optimal inflation rate is somewhere around that 2% target, plus or minus a little bit here or there. And how rigidly you want to stick to it is merely just an issue of domestic politics. Uh, I, I think that all of the countries have realized then that the solution is you increase interest rates until you bring inflation back under control and you try and make sure that people's inflationary expectations don't run ahead of that 2% target. So I, I think they're all effectively doing the same thing and they're all effectively doing it reasonably well. Some countries are a little more willing to accept the words of their politicians and their policymakers. Some are a little bit more skeptical, but... Uh, all that means then is that the ones that are more skeptical, you'll just see interest rates increase faster and higher. Uh, but the end result is all going to be the same, that within about a year, 18 months, we should see things, at least on the inflation level, back to normal. But as you've told us before, and I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the R word here, uh, as we're going down the, this road uh, of, of trying to defeat inflation, uh, is there an exit ramp before we have to hit right, right smack, right, dab right into a recession? Can we avoid that? Or is there an inevitability that we're going to have some sort of a blip? So the, the amazing thing is that the ability to avoid a recession now rests in the hands of the Canadian people. So if we appreciate Bank of Canada is going to do what they have to do to bring inflation under control and we keep our inflationary expectations under control, we don't go in and ask for 5%, 10% raises that aren't justified. Uh, and the fact is, we, we should be able to avoid a recession, or at least if we have a recession, it's just because of global events. Uh, but if we lose our heads and we don't trust what our policymakers are telling us, uh, we don't listen to experts saying that inflation needs to be around 2%, those are the things then that will start to impose the real costs and could create the, the potential for a, a recession. But it, it's now in, in the psychological minds of, of Canadians. You, you need to trust that inflation needs to be at 2%. The Bank of Canada will get it to 2%. Uh, and we just need to absorb the next 6 to 12 months, as tough as it is, uh, and things should start to look normal again. If we do that, we can avoid a, a recession or at least a deep one. But there's going to be intense political pressure to do otherwise, even though common sense would dictate that, no, this we've got to stay the course. Uh, you, can, you can see this happening already. I mean, certainly in the, in the States, uh, this government here is under pressure. Uh, the UK just, you know, dump one leader in another. It wasn't totally because of the economy, but that, that was a major part of what's going on in the UK right now. So it's it's going to take a lot of political courage to stay the course, I would think. It does. And beyond just having political courage, you also have to have the political support to do it, right? So it, it's going to be difficult in Canada where you have a minority government that's propped up by uh, a party further to the left that at the best of times uh, has a difficult time controlling spending and uh uh, reining things in, right? So, you know, part of what you see in Britain then, beyond just the other politics that kind of threw out Boris Johnson, is that that party is in disarray. And so in the US, where you have a very dysfunctional sort of political system, it's going to be very difficult for any politician of any stripe to try and hold the course 
because you have that much pressure coming in. So, you know, the lack of bipartisanship, the lack of political support across the spectrum, across the aisle, those types of things are going to make it that much more difficult. But uh, that's the type of thing that if you can dig in your heels and you can write out the next 12 months, it's the thing that can give you the political backing in a re-election to say, hey, everybody else was telling us we were wrong and look at what we delivered you, uh, exactly what we promised, which is a return to low inflation. That's why you should re-elect us. So there is a potential bright side here if you can hold the course. Uh, going to be some choppy waters over the next little while to be sure, but uh, as and you were right. You're the guy we should be asking about this, and you've been consistent about that, Paul. As always, thanks so much for the perspective on this. Really appreciate the time today. Anytime. Moshe Landa, who is a senior economics lecturer with Concordia University, uh, with his advice to federal governments, and it's uh, echoed by t- top economists right around the world. Uh, this It sucks. It hurts. Nobody likes high interest rates, uh, but it's it's like that cough syrup, right? It tastes awful, but it works. I guess we have to take that sort of an attitude, don't we? The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.